Cinema Jaw is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. Ride the movie guy and sitting behind the glass is producer Pat. Hey guys, how's it going? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we follow the clues mm. to our top five list of our favorite movie detectives of all time. I brought my magnifying glass and my deer hunter cap. That's, Little, a, that's cool. a nice look for you. Thanks, man. I got a, one of those big longhorn pipes, too. <laughs> Just don't I, ask me what's in the pipe. Detectives. Great yeah. list. I can't believe we haven't covered favorite detectives yet, and we've been doing this for 400 and some odd episodes. You'd think we would have followed the clues to that conclusion, right? No. No, it's great. But our top five movie detectives, get thinking about that, Jawheads. This is a good topic. It is. We have a returning guest who's going to help us with that list, too, we Matt. We do indeed, yes. Neil Edelstein returns for, I believe, his third time on The Jaw. He has a new movie out on Netflix currently called Fractured. Oh, maybe some jawheads out there have already watched it. If you haven't, I think our discussion about Fracture is going to get people to Inspired. want to hit play on that Netflix movie. Besides that, we have more going on. Do we not, Pat? That's right. This week, we're also going eye for an eye on Dr. Sleep. And we have a review of Motherless Brooklyn. And as mentioned, we'll be talking about Fractured. Yes. Since we're going eye for an eye on Dr. Sleep, I thought this would be a good time for Matt to take Neil on in Sleep movie trivia. Think of movies with sleep in the title. Okay. I can think of a couple. Plus, we have been doing Hollywood headlines lately, Matt, and it, it, it's actually been a good little segment. Change of pace from the cinema wars? Because there's constantly news that we should discuss. Oh, yes. And I know, you know, it's interesting here, too, because Neil, um, working with Netflix, and Netflix is making some news with this whole playback, so we're, we're going to discuss that into finer detail. I can't wait. Among other things. I have opinions. You do? I do. Strong opinions? Strong opinions. Oh, boy. I love when Matt has strong opinions, even though I do get worried about them sometimes. You should. Plus, Matt, it is a new month. Happy November. Happy November. Sad to see Halloween go, but you know what? I'm ready for the rest of the holiday season. Yes, and as promised, Jawheads, we're going to do a brand new riddle. This time on Cinema Jaw, we're going to try to do it during the break. So the new riddle and the the winner will be announced for the October riddle during the break of the show, so right. keep listening. But we will change themes. We are done with Jamie Lee Curtis month. Yes. It was a wonderful month. Yeah, we salute her as she sails into the sunset. We have been celebrating all kinds of actors, actresses, directors, genres of film, all 2019. So who do we have the, for November? The man himself, the guy who seems to have a new movie almost every month, and somehow, they're all amazing. Woody Harrelson. Wow. Woody Harrelson is going to be celebrated all month of November here on Cinema Tremendous Job. A-list talent with such a range of acting ability. An amazing career. Um, Quite, man. Yeah. We're, we're already going through facts and clips to pull for the Jawheads all month of November, and it's already a treat doing some of the research. So let's start right there, Pat. You got a, a fact, a Woody Harrelson fact for us. I do. Um, 
Today's Woody Harrelson fact is that Woody was one of the many A-listers who appeared in the World War II film The Thin Red Line, directed by the ever-divisive and ever-mysterious Terrence Malick. While Malick would eventually alienate several actors who worked with him, Harrelson wasn't one of them. Harrelson reportedly stuck around for over a month after he was done filming just so he could behold the talented director at work. I mean, that, that either speaks very largely of Malick's talent or just how stoned Woody Harrelson was. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't get off the couch. I'm just going to marvel at your talent. <laughs> he was just, just in wonderment of him, you know? Yeah. That is hilarious. <laughs> that or, or the, the wallpaper. Yeah. Oh, wait, I got another project? All right, I got to go. <laughs> yep. I love it. Good stuff. So stick around all November for fun, interesting facts on Woody Harrelson. Met our guest this week, as you mentioned, Neil Edelstein. He has produced such films as The Ring, Mulholland Drive. His latest project is entitled Fractured. It stars Sam Worthington. It is out on Netflix right now. Neil Edelstein, welcome back to Cinema Jaw. Thanks for having me, guys. Always great to be on the jaw. So what's, uh, what's new? Well, what's new uh, on the work front? Fractured yeah. is new. Fractured came out a few weeks ago. And uh, it's been doing extraordinarily well. It's been a, it's been a great journey. It's yeah. Great. yeah, and and it's it's do, do you get like a a feeling from Netflix after it's released? Like, what's the communication with? Yeah, from uh, Netflix y- with the producers after. Yeah, it's they're out? they're very communicative and and uh, keep us in the loop on on the success of the film and uh, extraordinarily producer friendly, um, almost more so than any experience I've had. So we know the movie's doing gangbusters. Um, and uh, reaching, you know, a global audience in a way that it it really not possible to have done in the past. So it's been it's been awesome, and it's been um, you know enlightening for sure. So when you guys made the film, was it the plan to to go to Netflix from the beginning? Uh, no, this this project has a long history. Uh, it's a script that I had read some fourteen years ago. Wow. Um, by a writer named Alan McElroy, who uh, I happened to be working with him on another project, and asked him if he had anything sitting around in a drawer, which is, you know, a, a kind of a easy technique for a producer to try to find some material. That's where the gold hides. <laughs> That's where the gold hides. And most of it's not gold. Sure. But, but in this instance, it was gold. And um, it was a script that was set up shortly after reading it 14 years ago at Paramount Vantage which was this little boutique I remember that, division sure. mm-hmm. that happened to make some phenomenal movies in very short order. I remember their logo. They would push over the, the, the little yes. sign on it. I yeah, well, the little, little tape machine. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and they had made some great films. Uh, there Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men. And, and oh, the, yeah, uh, just a couple. A couple. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, it was set up there and um, came very close, on again, off again, close. Um, and, and ultimately, it didn't get made there. And Paramount Vantage ultimately shuttered. But that was well after the movie, you know, never found, it, found its legs. And myself and, and another producer, Mike McCary, had, had, had always controlled the material and been in love with it and, and never kind of gave up on it ever. I mean, I don't think in those 14 years there wasn't a month that hadn't gone by where at least something was done to try to push that project in some direction. And ultimately, it ended up at Netflix in large part to an executive who was at Paramount Vantage 
at the time and, oh, okay. and an executive at Paramount Vantage. And he reached out and, and that sparked it again. And this is going back uh, from today about um, a year and a half, right, right, January 2018. Okay. And then quickly thereafter, Brad Anderson attached to the movie, which, which ignited things. So that's, yeah. That's, and, and we should explain to the jawhead, some people haven't seen the movie. So, so just briefly what the, the movie is about is we have Sam Worthington who plays the father of a young daughter and his wife. And there's a, a, a tragic accident that takes place that he has to rush his wife and daughter into a hospital. Well, lo and behold, after a little while in the hospital, his wife and daughter go missing. Disappear. Disappear. It's a great premise. Yeah, it is a great premise. And it, it, it plays upon that kind of Hitchcockian, you know, every man against the system. Yeah. And, and can the man keep his wits? And, and is he going crazy or is he sane? You know, who to believe? Who do you believe? Who it's do you the, trust? Who do you trust? Who you believe? It's that razor's edge. And the script was always a really tight rendition of a Hitchcock film. Um, and, and it just, it came together in a magical way. I mean, uh, I'll always say this, that film is a director's medium and Brad Anderson is a filmmaker I've always wanted to, to work with. We got very fortunate, the timing line up, lined up that he was available and he reacted positively to the script. So he, at that moment, you know, you have a real chance to make the best version of the movie you want to make. Yeah. And then Sam attached, which was really a big win and exciting for us as well because Sam is such a gifted actor, truly a gifted actor. And 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 I don't think really has made a movie like this. So he no. was able to go in a different direction and push the envelope and, and perform um, with a filmmaker that was completely supportive. So you kind of have the, 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 the elements. All the there. puzzle pieces are fitting. Fitting, yeah. Yeah. What, what's it like being a, a producer on a, a movie like this that's obviously getting a lot of eyeballs because it's on Netflix and being able to go to like a social media like a Twitter and see the fan reaction instantly because this is a movie that, that has probably a wide variety of fan reaction because it has sort of this twist ending that you can sort of some people may read into even more than others. So what's that sort of like? I, I mean, that's a great question. It's, 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 it's kind of fantastic and surreal uh, that you can watch in real time reactions and see people that are just finishing the movie minutes prior or during their watching and tweeting. I mean, I wish Twitter translation was a little bit better because it, it, I can see the movie now kind of like, moving through uh, Europe and yeah. France and, and different countries so you, so you translate. But it, it's fantastic to see. I mean, it's never a movie that I think would ever review well because of the, cause it's it's a dark subject matter. That's fair to say. You know, and, yeah. and so, and I never read reviews anyway, so I wouldn't really look at that aspect of it. But it's, it's, it's the kind of perfect movie for Netflix and perfect, it intersects with social media as well because it's conversational. And I think it's not, it's, it's about the first experience, but it's also about potentially going back or thinking back about what happened and what are these elements and visuals yeah. that line up, which there was a lot of emphasis by the filmmakers, specifically Brad, to focus on these components and make decisions in the prep and shooting process to be like, hey, wait, this is an area we can play with. It's in the script, but maybe this should be this color, or maybe this item should be this, or maybe this should be here. Like a real conscious effort to play with the audience and layer in clues because we knew that it would have this 
conversation in real time and let's play with that and have fun. And it's a beautiful film too. Oh, it's beautiful. It, it was shot by a cinematographer named Bjorn Carpentier who worked with Brad on Brad's previous film, Beirut. Bjorn uh, it just did a stellar job. He, he's just, um, he's a special guy who's on the rise. I mean, the top, it, he's, he'll be at the top soon. He's a young guy. Was that shot at like an old hospital? Uh, it was shot all in Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, uh, Canada, obviously, and in a in a hospital called Selkirk, which is about 35 minutes north of downtown Winnipeg, and we shot the bulk of it. Obviously, was shot there. Save a couple days on a on a highway, um, and and there's a piece in the hospital. Um, I won't give away, but there's a there's a kind of big conclusive piece towards the end of the film that's shot in another hospital because it was a better location for this moment and sequence. But it was all shot in a, in a pretty much an abandoned hospital. Yeah. Does it get spooky? Shooting it? You I know, mean, are it, you on set? It, I'm on set the okay, whole cool. time. I'm on set every day, all day. So, it, it, you know, room 217 was supposedly haunted. Okay. And, and so I'd go up there every now and then, but there's nothing really <laughs> odd going on. But, but, uh, Except when Neil was in there. Exactly. <laughs> like, eh, stay away. Um, but it, it uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it can be weird. Eerie. Yeah, it's weird because you have full access to the whole thing. Uh -huh. You know, so you can kind of roam and go anywhere. Yeah, like you're on yeah. the phone just wandering, pacing down a hallway, and all of a sudden you realize, where the hell am I? Yeah, exactly. You turn a corner and, you know, you're yeah. in the twilight zone. Um, it's cool. Yeah. One thing I did want to ask, sort of tacking on to the question about seeing the reactions on social media, are they about right on uh, people uh, getting the, the ending of the film? and Or do you sometimes see something that, that people are reading way too much into something, or you think like, boy, I thought we made it pretty clear here, or... That, that judging of uh, there, I, you know it, I don't know what the split is but there's certainly people that are missing some some of what the ending in it is and interpreting it a little bit but that's okay that's good because it is a bit of a murky wild ride um, murky not not that it's not clear but there there's room to interpret things and, and some people are interpreting darker versions of what the movie ultimately is mm -hmm. um, without spoiling uh, so um, it is fun to see that. It's interesting because you're you're getting you're getting um, affirmation of 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 a reaction that you expected. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like testing a movie because you need a specific ending to land. Otherwise, it doesn't know, make it. Yeah, the studio is yeah. going to come in and well, it can't be that. And mm -hmm. this movie always had a challenging ending, so it was refreshing to be able to shoot the script and not have. Netflix meddle with us. They wanted to support us to make the best version of what this script was. And that's the direction we all wanted to go in. So they didn't like stick their fingers into it or try to give you notes or anything? Not like that. even remotely close. Working with Netflix is, for me, it's, it's akin to what was seemingly, you know, the glory days of independent cinema when you made a movie, you know, like with the Weinsteins or something. God, you know, we all know now that was, you know, a joke. Yeah. Like that you had creative freedom to make these movies and maybe the Weinsteins aren't the best example, but you know, the, the, the era where you could make an independent movie, no one would meddle with you. This was truly that experience. That's awesome. I, I, it would be hard to replicate it, um, you know, prior to a Netflix existing. Sure. It's, unless, in the, in the unless, Hollywood uh, system. Yeah, unless, you know, you, your your father was 
attack billionaire or something and give you a bunch of money to go make a movie. Sure. And yeah. I know we talked last time uh, you've been on the show, you know, what exactly a producer does. And sure. We've talked about all the different things that a producer has to do at, sure. at certain times. So on this particular project, you say that you were on set yeah. every day. Yeah. Uh, your day-to-day duties, give the jawheads an idea of what you were sure. doing well, behind well, the camera. Well, lead, leading up to... Um, I'll save you on like the development and process and getting the movie set up. I mean, in this situation, you're you're really responsible for for the whole universe of the movie. Um, you're responsible for the budget. You're responsible for um, you know making sure that the movie stays on course and delivers on time. But you're also there to support the filmmaker. And when you work with somebody like Brad Anderson, you're there as a sounding board. You're there to you know support him any way he needs support and uh working with him it's really easy because he's such a professional um and he knows what he wants and he's quick and he knows when to be you know he he knows the balance of when to take time and and when to move quickly to make a day so it's really it was a delightful experience and and my job was you know i had uh, there were a couple other producers on the movie and it was just really in a support sense to be there for Brad and and Sam and and the crew to make sure everyone really had a good experience. I mean, it was kind of the most positive journey I've ever been on making a movie because it all just, it was ideal. It was mm-hmm. insanely ideal. That's great. Um, That's and, and not that it was easy, but it was like work the way it should work, and that's partially because of Netflix, a large part to Netflix, but a large part to Brad Anderson as well because you have a filmmaker that is so seasoned and is so spot on with his decision making about what he wants to do. And you have an actor like Sam Worthington and Lily Rabe as well, who were just awesome. And Sam had to carry the whole movie and he was prepared and it was it was just a delight. He's in basically every scene, right? I mean, just about. Yeah, he is. There's I'm trying cu- to think of one where he's y- not. Yeah, no, that, that that's the weight of the movie. Yeah. Uh, is it it's it's all really with him and his mm-hmm. perspective. Maybe there's some POVs he's not in. Right. Maybe there's right. some reflection in those POVs, POVs, but joking aside, yeah, he 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 had a uh, yeoman's task because mm-hmm. if if that performance is slightly off the whole thing craters and he absolutely nailed it. Mm-hmm. He did. Yeah. I love movies with a dark twist, you know? Yeah, this one has several. It's it not does. just like one twist like an M Night Shyamalan where Oh, you find this out. Right. I think that there's, that's part of the, the beauty of the movie, at least for me, is that it kind of takes you on this roller coaster uh, throughout. Definitely, yeah. definitely one to reflect on. Like it, it, a lot of movies, I, I watch so many movies where it's like you, you're done with the movie and that's more or less it. This isn't one of those movies. You finish it and then you're doing whatever and it's creeping back into your mind as you think, yeah. wow, that was pretty dark. I can't believe you know, it went this way and that way. All right, I like this. You know? well, that's it's, good. It's dark. That's a high compliment. Absolutely. Yeah. So for the Jawheads listening to this, and they're going to watch Fractured, and they want to tag you on a tweet to say what they thought of the film, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is my name, uh, which is Neil Edelstein. So it's N-E-A-L-E-D-E-L-S-T-E-I-N, my name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy to do. And we'll put a link in the show, yeah. cool. as do, always. Do you respond? on? on I try to, yeah. You know, always. I try to reach out and communicate with people. You got it wrong. Yeah. Well, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I love to hear the negative feedback, too. It's always helpful. I'm not I'm not shying away from that. But it's it's good to hear people, you know, reach out and talk about stuff and compliment movies. Yeah. It's flattering. Well, congratulations, man. It's a great, great Thanks. movie. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. Absolutely. It is called Fractured. It's out on Netflix now. 
we like to end our guest interviews with a silly cinema cue, usually having something to do with the theme. Boy, this is nerve-wracking. We're, we're, we're bringing it over to Pat. Pat, do you got something for Neil? Who would you rather see Woody Harrelson work with, David Lynch or Gore Verbinski? You see what we did here? Did you, are you writing Pat's I, I, questions? I, 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 I'm I would, helping Pat out. I give him suggestions. That's I would, all. <laughs> I would say Gore Verbinski because the David Lynch of it would be so out there. It would almost become predictable. Yeah. And I would just want to know what Gore would do. It would be, that, it would, it would be less predictable, which would interest me more. Both amazing filmmakers, of course. There you go. Good question. Yeah. It is a good question. Yeah. Steep. I always love seeing uh, Woody Harrelson with a, a a good director. You know, like when he was in the Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, I mean, he he that guy's great. He is super talented. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so Neil Edelstein is sitting in on this entire job. He has his top five favorite movie detectives. It brings us to Eye for an Eye. This week we go Eye for an Eye on Doctor Sleep. Years following the events of The Shining, a now-adult Dan Torrance meets a young girl with similar powers as his and tries to protect her from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. The film is based on Stephen King's novel of the same name. It stars Ewan McGregor and is directed by Mike Flanagan, who previously directed Oculus and the Netflix series The Haunting of the Hill House. Um, Okay. I think that... Oculus is actually a bit of a sleeper hit, um, and Haunting on Hill House I've not seen, but I've heard nothing but good things about. So those things bode well. I'm a huge fan of The Shining, as I'm sure all of us are, uh, and probably everybody listening as well. It's one of the masterpieces of, of film. And I, I'm excited for Stephen King, always, even though he's had some misses. But man, I just don't know. I, yes, interested, so ring the bell. But I am really nervous that this is going to suck. And signs are pointing in that direction. The bar is really high. Yeah. The bar is really high. Um, I'm interested in seeing it for sure because of the elements. Mike Flanagan is a very talented filmmaker. I think he's, he's in that, that circle of next, next people who are going to have a string of really successful runs. So you got to see it. Mm. There's going to be... Even if it doesn't totally work as a whole, there's going to be pieces of it that will be brilliant. And Ewan McGregor's amazing. So, yes. I mean, it just, it just feels so right, but the bar is so high because right. The Shining is... How do you stand next to Kubrick? How? You don't. Yeah. You don't. I'm very nervous for this one. I, I, I remember... I go, I go back to this. I remember I was walking out of a, a movie when someone... Leo Brady, a movie guy who's been on the show, I saw him and the, the trailer must have just come out. And he said, did you see they're making a sequel to The Shining? And my initial reaction was like, what? That's a terrible idea. I didn't know that there was a book based on this. I don't read all Stephen King's. So my initial reaction, my gut was telling me, terrible idea for that reason. And ignore. You feel violated? Yeah. I am. We are going to see this. It's, a it's new, our review next week. Hey, the, the book was pretty good by all accounts. That's what my wife said. Pretty good. Pat, you want to chime in on this one? Yeah. Um, at first, I kind of was on the same side as Ryan, uh, where I thought I didn't actually realize that there was a book. Um, so I was kind of confused. But I did really like The Shining. So I'm probably going to see it, yeah. 
There we go. So you're alone there, right? Yeah. Three interested, one ignore. Mm, but we're all nervous. Doctor Ner- Yes. Everybody a little nervous, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a lot we to be che- nervous we about. You cherish the shining. Indeed. Speaking of new films, Matt, Edward Norton steps behind the camera for the second time for the latest feature, Motherless Brooklyn, a throwback noir film about a detective with Tourette's trying to solve a case. It's based on a novel of the same name. I hit the theater looking for clues. I needed to find out, is this one worth your time? Or is it a film that should have been swept into a New York gutter and washed away with all the other filth? Okay, listen. I got something wrong with me. That's the first thing to know. I got threads in my head. I got threads in my head, man. I twitch and shout a lot. <laughs> Makes me look like a damn freak show. Can't you ever I'm cut so- that out? I'm sorry. Touch it, Bailey. I'm sorry. But inside my head's an even bigger mess. I can't stop twisting things around. Words and sounds especially. Have to keep playing with them until they come out right. Sorry. Jeez, forget I asked. Like I said, a damn mess. Then I started working for Frank. Frank Minna, Private Eye. Boys. Frank, frankly, frankly, Franco. He's the one who taught me how to use my head, turn it into a strength. He gave me a place in this crappy world until I screwed up. Anybody know what Frank was into on this? There's something going down, and it's big, and they were not happy about what he found. We find who did this, and we square accounts. If I figure it out, I'm gonna make him regret it. I promise you that. As you heard in the clip, Edward Norton not only directs this feature film, but he also stars in it. He plays Lionel, a detective with a great memory who happens to have Tourette's. His boss, Frank, played by Bruce Willis, is on to something big, But in classic noir fashion, he does not tell anyone about it. Thus, when things go bad for Frank, Lionel has just a few clues to go on to figure out what happened, who was involved, and why. As Lionel starts to put the pieces together, Matt, a much larger crime scene starts to come into frame. City corruption, payback, payoffs, brothers who no longer talk to each other, meetings at jazz clubs, Motherless Brooklyn has all the noir goodies you could hope for. Rounding out the cast here are Alec Baldwin and Willem Dafoe, both of which should be in every noir film going forward as far as I'm concerned. But is the case in hand worth solving? That's the question I'm not, I'm not so sure on. The film deliberately moves at a slow pace, and while this is effective at times, it also tested my patience. Set in Brooklyn in the 1950s, means we're treated to some older cars, period sets, and some, fun, and some fun clothing styles. However, none of these aspects felt authentic enough. As for our lead detective, I give Norton credit. He is a character worth rooting for. Memorable, but say memorable to make a list that we're about to have here on Cinema Jaw? Probably not. The final re- reveal itself also comes off as anticlimactic, and I think that's how Norton wanted it. This is more about the journey than it is some major plot twist. Motherless Brooklyn needed to have more fun. If you're into noirs, check it out. For the rest of you, I would say wait for it at home. 
Hmm. Hmm. Sounds like uh, Norton maybe it wasn't the best on the other side of the camera. Like it's a good script, a good idea, but doesn't quite stick the landing. Yeah, I mean, this is actually kind of like epic in style because it's it's this noir film. It's right. set in the fifties. You're saying Brooklyn. that's where there's. Uh, unauthenticity right and it doesn't come off like i think it should have it felt very much like you're watching a movie trying to be a noir and not so much an, an actual noir film right and and that it, it it just didn't translate if maybe that was the exact style they were going for which is sometimes when a film wants to almost like glamorize it it, it, it may work in that in that scenario but in this case i really felt like he was going for that authenticity and it just just didn't, didn't achieve it. There. That's what how I felt. Um, but his performance as the lead detective is Norton esque. I mean, he's he's one of the best. I love it's watching brilliant. the guy. The Tourette's comes up more as is for for laughs than anything. And I thought going into it when I saw the trailer, you know, the, the, this memory that he has, he's supposed to have this ridiculous memory, was going to play out even more so in the plot of things than it did. That was a little bit of a letdown. I, I, mm. When it was introduced, I thought, ooh, this is going to be interesting how this comes into play here. Sure, that's always a great quality for a detective. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, like I say, just slight off the whole entire movie. I just wanted it to be just a little bit better in all aspects, you know, when it came to the, the sets and the, and the setting. Now, Neil, you've read the book? I read the book when it was not even published, going back to the late 90s. I had, a, I had a project with Jonathan Leatham um, called Amnesia Moon that Tim Hunter was going to direct and Keanu Reeves was going to play the lead. And David Lynch and I were producing that movie, uh, which was based on a Leatham book. And then Leatham had sent us Motherless Brooklyn, which I loved. But I'm going back to 80s, or I'm sorry, 97, 98. Mm -hmm. And I know that Edward Norton had bought the book shortly thereafter. What, the option, you mean? I think he bought the book outright wow. in the late 90s, if not 2000, hmm. and has been trying to get it made ever since. So, uh, you know. So he's really been behind this project. He's been behind this for, for almost 20 years. 20 years. Mm -hmm. so, um, but it's a fantastic book. It's an amazing read. Jonathan Leatham's a, a great writer. Uh, but, uh, wow, awesome that it got made, and I'm interested in seeing it, for sure. Yeah. But it, but it's, but it made me think if it's a noir film, you got to have the pace, right? It sounds like the key word for me was pacing. Right. And if you don't have the pace, yeah. it's got to build towards something in the third act. Yeah. Um, so. And, and you know, when, when you're moving a movie slow like that, it, it does work in the beginning because it's taking its time. It's taking its time. It's, like it's taking shape. It, it feels good. Right. You're getting to it. But it's, it's that third act where all of a sudden it should pick up some speed. Yeah. And they're right in there. At a, and this is probably about a two hour and 20 minute runtime. So right at about like an hour and 50, hour and 45, you, 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 I felt myself like it better really start going here. And it just doesn't get that next gear yeah. to finish it off in, in the way and the speed that it should have. Hmm. That's, so. a, that's a shame. Yep. I'm still going to watch it. Yeah. Me too. Yep. Hell yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to mention that I didn't uh, in, in the review is I'm a big Radiohead fan and Tom York, uh, front man of Radiohead, Gave us uh, the lead song in Suspiria last year. Yeah. He wrote a song, Daily Battles, for this song. It's also for in the, the trailer. So if you've seen the trailer, that's used. And it's used two times here. Once in, in Tom York's normal uh, setting as he's croning through. And then one time in sort of a, a jazz club setting, which they redo the song a second time. Really that's appreciated called Get More that. Bang for Your Buck. That's I liked a good it. Uh, quality for a producer, right? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you think York is just jealous of, of Greenwood at this point? He's like, hey, he's doing movies. Why can't I? I, I think he's just trying things out. All right. So. I, I, like I said, that song from Suspiria was great. How many Jaws are you giving Motherless Brooklyn? Two Jaws. Middle of the road. I wanted more out of it. A little disappointed, to be honest. But it's not, not terrible. And like I said, if you're into noirs or if you've read the book, I think there's enough there that you'd be interested to, to check it out. I don't want to steer everybody away from it. Movie poster quote here, Matt, though, is not all the pieces fall into place. Mm. Well, I'm going to see it anyway. You haven't steered me off of it. Two Jaws. If you see Motherless Brooklyn, and you agree with me or you disagree, write us feedback at cinemajaw.com. Due to the fact that Ed Norton is playing a detective in Motherless Brooklyn, that got us thinking. Top five movie detectives. This is a great topic. Yep. And we're letting our guest start out. We like to ask, was it a difficultest for you to come up with? Or bam, you, you got your five right away. Uh, it, it was kind of difficult because there's your household detectives uh, that everyone knows in movies. And then there's detectives that are just great in the movie. And the movie's great. And I kind of fell that way. And I'm always going back to classics. Good, um, which I'm sure good, will good. bore your audience <laughs> to death. I, I literally uh, have my pad in front of yeah. me just to jot down titles that Neil is about to drop. So, I mean, my, my, my first... Uh, um, this is your number five. My number five mm-hmm. would, would be uh, Detective Mark McPherson, who is played by Dana Andrews in Otto Preminger's classic, Laura. Never seen it. No, nothing. Never heard of it. It's a masterpiece. Um, a masterpiece at five. I it, love it. I, I, I love I it. Think it would, I think it would be considered uh, top top ten on people's top ten list, and certainly top five Laura uh, noir film of all time. It's a great film for so many reasons, but I'll give you a little bit of trivia about it. Is that Vincent Price plays Laura's boyfriend in the movie? Laura has died at the beginning of the movie, and you kind of a detective comes in to solve her murder and it kind of goes back from there but there's a great vincent price role in it when vincent price wasn't playing the ghouls on channel 32 that we grew up with in chicago Mm -hmm. so that's a fun little aspect but it's a great movie it's a great detective piece and dana andrews is like the perfect detective in it so that's my number five what year did it come out Uh, it's got to be 40 can we we throw that in the fish tank 48 49 What, what year did the movie laura come out he'll get it for us yeah nice pick at number five Okay. Already, already one down on the queue, man. Oh, yeah, for sure. I wrote it down. Um, guys, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to hate my list, but it gets better. I mean, that's... I don't that's think I will, because I think I know who's on it. But, uh, but Probably. Listen, I, I had to get this one out of the way. I don't want you to think I'm not taking this seriously. I know where you're going. But I loved, loved this character, uh, and I, I'm just going to name this unapologetically Ace Ventura, oh. Pet Detective. <laughs> He's not taking this serious at all, Terrible. is he? Yeah, come on. Yeah. Hey, man. Wow. Like a glove. I mean, like... How could you do this listen, in front guys, of Neil? Listen. This is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> here's why. I knew... This guy's a Hollywood producer, have, and you're know. mentioning this? Come on. I think this was a big breakout role for, for Jim Carrey. He's, he's let us down somewhat, and I think that this got so overplayed, just like a, a Mike Myers... Who's un, we all agree is a tremendous talent, but the um, oh man, what was his spy character? See, I, Austin uh, Powers. Austin you. Powers. Well, the Austin Powers stuff got so into the zeitgeist that made us sick. Same thing with uh, Ace Ventura. But there's a reason because it was a damn funny movie. It was a good movie, and and I liked it. And he was actually an effective 
detective in a good comedy movie. There's not enough comedy detective movies unless you count the Naked Gun stuff. Mm. I'm taking Ace Ventura. Wow. All right. I'll pick it back up here, Neil. Um, this one... <laughs> Deals I, like okay, man. Yeah, yeah, whatever that's what I wish it was a video podcast. Yeah. The look that he just yeah, gave. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> um, all right, so my number five pick is a, a film that gave us Ryan Johnson, who is a great director. Going right now has directed uh, one of the Star Wars films, Last Jedi, and me and Matt have now seen Knives Out, which comes out next a f- month. A fun clue detective movie too, mm-hmm. right? Well, back in two thousand and five, he was an unknown. And he made a noir film about a high school kid looking for his ex-girlfriend. The high school kid was played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. His character was Brendan. Pivotal role for him. Yes, absolutely. In the wonderful movie, Brick. Mm. And I I think seeing a noir film, a a lot of times they don't know how to make it their own, right? Because they, they constantly play up the same exact... Uh, motifs and tropes of, yeah. that we've seen of, in these noir films. So you got to do something a little different to stand out. So why not set a noir film in a high school setting? And not only that, let's give them dialogue that they're not going to even stop to explain to the audience. You're going to have to catch up, and you will catch up because it's a smart enough movie that you're, you're finally going to understand what the brick is and everything that they're talking about. But the first 15 and 20 minutes of this movie that you watch, I remember pausing it and turning to my girlfriend at the time and saying, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't even know what, what's been said here. It was so staggering, the dialogue. It's impenetrable. And I said, well, I will just keep going. And sure enough, about 20 minutes in, 30 minutes in, and then an hour, and you're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. What a movie, Brick. You love this film. Love it, absolutely. Yeah. Have no, you seen this one? I haven't seen it, but I know it. And it's yeah. always, it's always, I need to see this film. Yeah. I yeah. need to see this film. And it's he, a good one. He's a talented filmmaker. Absolutely. That's my number five. Brick, into our four as we go. Okay, number four. Uh, I mean, this, this should be number one, I guess. Uh, but it's not. <laughs> it's uh, the Maltese Falcon. Wow. Yeah. Humphrey yeah. Wow. Bogart. See, uh, that's why I, I knew you would have these guys on your list. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, are you trying to say you want to put them on there, but you didn't want to insult me? <laughs> <laughs> so you went with Ace Ventura. So I, Ace Ventura. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, I mean, Bogey plays Sam Spade, a Dashiell Hammett novel, screenplay, jo- screenplay by John Huston and directed by John Huston, his first film that he directed. Classic noir, if not the noir film mm-hmm. of all noir films, fighting it out with a couple others that maybe I'll, I'll come Another up with. Another Bogey film, really. It's, it's fighting it with Casablanca pretty much, right? Yep, yep. Casablanca um, masterpiece, mm. of course. But I don't know if I traditionally call it a noir film. Right. But... Um, yeah, Maltese Falcon. I mean, I, I, what, what can you say about it? I have no fucking idea what the story is about. I don't know that anyone does. <laughs> um, but it's a beautiful film. It sure it's is. Brilliant. Yeah, And I agree. I think it is sort of the film that so many noir films emulate. If it all, you, you're, you know, going back through time, it sort of seems yeah. like the genesis of so Correct, many. correct. And inspired, I think, uh, for sure inspired, like the French New Wave. And a lot of filmmakers looked at that specific movie is like this Hollywood, um, uh, um, th- that, that moment in Hollywood for them where they went, this is art. Mm-hmm. This is art. Like, it's not a weepy film. It's not a propaganda film about war. It's, it's like this thing that is so uniquely Hollywood. And Bogey's like right dead 
in the center of that, in the, the beginning of that. The birth of the movie star, in a way. Maybe the birth of movie star happened maybe before that, but the birth of, I think... Um, art house? Art house, for sure. I, I mean, uh, film as art, for certain. Yep. Great. I'm really curious who you thought I was going to say when I was about to say Ace Ventura. Well, I'll get. Let's get through okay. your list. Right. Yeah, fair and enough. Then, fair uh, enough. We'll, we'll stick a pin in that. Yeah. Um, I I really don't like following Neil because my picks are a little <laughs> less traditional. Let's just say. And and I went with the, you're talking detectives. It doesn't have to always be uh, the 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 light coming through the Venetian blinds, hard boiled with a with a hat and a trench coat. Sometimes it's just a cop, right? And this is a, st- a story about a beat cop whose friend gets murdered, and he has to chase down the killers, go where the, the mystery leads, which happens to be Beverly Hills. And I'm talking about Axel Foley, the Beverly Hills <laughs> I'll cop. I'll give you this one. It's, first Solid. of all, yeah. he, he is a great detective. Remember when he's, he's in the... Oh, um, he's really good. I mean, especially when you were watching him as a kid. I thought right. he was incredible. Great movie. <laughs> yeah. Banana in the tailpipe. And when, when he finds the coffee grounds and he's like, well, drug dealers hide cocaine in coffee grounds because it throws off the dogs. I'm like, I wouldn't have thought of that. You know? This guy knows his stuff. You know? uh, I, I, just, I love the Beverly Hills Cop movies especially the first one. I mean, really can't vouch for three at all. The second one's a pretty decent, but Beverly Hills Cop, just a, a movie. Who directed th- that fishbowl? Is that, oh, is yeah, that, is throw that, it in the fish it, tank. Is that Walter Hill or is that... Wow. Uh, I'm not sure myself. No, I don't think so, Because Walter Hill did the, the Warriors, I know. Yep. Didn't he? I, I don't think, think he did Beverly Hills Cop. Or but he, he wrote it. F- throw it in the fish tank. Who yeah, wrote and tank. who directed Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah, I'd like to know myself. I can't think of it. Nice. So there you go, at number four, right? All right, so I went classic with my number four. I know this one was a suggestion given to me on Cinema Jaw years ago, and I've corrected that I had missed this movie, watched it, and realized why people uh, talk about it in, in such... Um, high regard. High regard, yeah, sure. absolutely. It's an Orson, Wel- film, Orson oh. Welles film. Oh. It stars Charlton Heston. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Great, great film. I'm going back to 1958, A Touch of Evil. And yeah. the detective here is played by Charlton Heston, who plays Roman Miguel Vargas. And it's the opening shot of this movie that starts the entire crime and investigation of exactly what's happening. And that is this long tracking shot that sees this car coming across the border from Mexico into the U.S. And they're in the, a border town there. And Heston, his, uh, his uh, character, is actually you know, a border patrol policeman guard kind of thing. And he witnesses this car bomb go off and kill a couple people. And so he then starts this investigation. And that, in turn, uh, leads him to meet the uh, police captain who's played by Orson Welles. And there's corruption. It's everything you want in a noir film. That's total noir. You know, great movie. One of the greats. Right? Uh, And weird and freaky and perverse and Janet Lee, there's like this oh yeah Janet heavy Lee's sexual stuff going on that's a really trippy film and brilliant that's a good one it is Wells was out there too you know way out there and he's so crusty and bizarre and sleazy in that movie yes, his performance is awesome that's uh, a that is that's a masterpiece it is the cinematography in the oh. movie is great the performances I love touchy evil yep so I don't think he did anything that wasn't a masterpiece. He was just one of those guys. Mm. Knocked it out of the park every yep. time. That was my number four. Into our threes we go. Okay, into our threes. Um, 
the th three for me is um, these are these are these are a series of films, and it's a detective couple. It's Nick and Nora Charles in the Thin Man series, um, played by Dickie Paul and and Myrna Loy. Um, these movies are masterpieces. Uh, they were they were they were based on uh, again Dashiell Hammett books or short story. Uh, the first film was such a wild success because of the chemistry between um, Dickie Paul and Myrna Loy. And um, I, I defy anyone to watch these movies today and not love them. You know, just the banter, the wit between this couple as they try to investigate and solve crimes. It's this kind of odd mashup of like murder mystery meets lighthearted comedy mm -hmm. it's brilliant and the movies i think there may have been four five six of these films later turned into stage plays it's is a franchise in every sense of the you know word but magical movies and um all about detective work and noir but like kind of a weird subgenre. must see see the first film the thin man the thin man yeah it's great yeah this is great indeed filling up the queue i am i'm gonna jot that one down as well all right, that swings it to me. And as a matter of fact, I also have a detective couple here. Um, these two were uh, a magazine publisher and a hacker who team up to solve... Good pick here, Matt. ...the disappearance of a girl. There, there was also a series that came out of this, and, and it's a pretty decent series. Some entries better than others, but I'm talking about Mikael Bloomquist and Elizabeth Salander from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm, I love that first film. Yeah, the first film. Have you guys read the books? No. I started the book. Really? And I don't, know why, I don't know why I put it down. It wasn't because I didn't enjoy it. I think I just got distracted, and then it, it just evaporated for me. Having the idea of your taste that, that I've gotten over the interactions we've had, I think you would really enjoy it. Pick it back up. It, it is a bit of a slog to get to when it starts getting really good, but then it's just a roller coaster ride. And, and really, if I had to pick one of these two that I would prefer, it's obviously... Elizabeth Salander, who's one of the most interesting new characters in, in uh, media, period, yeah. in a long time. So I like yeah. her a lot. Well, I like that they're, they're a team that has their, their two qualities that they really actually need. I don't think her by herself is nearly as strong right. without him. Right, such a him. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's why I, I think that is such a perfect marriage of, mm -hmm. of couples, because the, the, those two together can really solve a case, because they got such strengths on... Two opposite sides. Yeah, they're good together. I like that. Was an honorable mention of mine. My number three pick is, of all things, a cartoonist. Dead giveaway. Uh, it, it is one of the uh, better. Uh, I, it's, it's not really even a noir film, but it was it was a dark film trying to catch a serial killer. It came out in two thousand and seven. Zodiac is the film, oh. Oh, yeah. and I'm going with Robert Graysmith, played by Jake Gyllenhaal who was this cartoonist at the newspaper where the Zodiac Killer was sending in these letters. Right, taunting the yeah. journalists. Taunting the journalists, and uh, they had detectives after him. You had the newspaper guys after him, more of the, the seasoned guys. And it was this cartoonist that was actually looking at the letters that was able to sort of get something out of the way he was just even using what particular letters, what colors were on there. There was more to it than just what was on the, the letter. You know? Right, he was able to decode it at least somewhat. 
Exactly. And so he starts becoming obsessed with the Zodiac Killer, as so many people did. But he probably uh, then came closer to catching the actual killer than anybody else had because he just stayed on the case. Such a creepy movie. No better scene than than when Gyllenhaal himself is in the the basement basement, of when he thinks... (laughs) <laughs> you know the scene? The floorboards above are just creaking. The movie's amazing. It is. I mean, you're at a moment where everybody more or less knows it's the, the Zodiac Killer, at least we think he is, and he's under this impression, and you just get that suspense that is is literally nail-biting. Edge of your seat. That's edge of your seat right there. The it's David Fincher master. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know. Might, that, might come up again. That was a great one. My um, number one. three. Into our twos, Neil. Uh, number two is Bogey again in The Big Sleep. Howard oh, Hawks nice. is The Big Sleep, <laughs> which is another one of these, I think, uh, you know, defining noir films. Um, Bogey plays Philip Marlowe. Um, it's it's a Ray, based on a Raymond Chandler short story. William Faulkner uh, wrote the script or had a first crack on it. Howard Hawks and William Faulkner would, I guess, go hunting and drink together and, and Faulkner wrote the script and couldn't deliver because he was drinking too much and, and the script had a couple other screenwriters. Uh, and it's really this just brilliant, bizarre, never-ending murder mystery that doesn't ever make sense by design. Hawk said he never wanted it to make sense or culminate with a conclusion, but it's just so much tone and texture and and cinematography, black and white cinematography, bogey um, at, at its best. It's a masterpiece. It's a movie I go to regularly just if I want to escape and get lost in a world, the big sleep. I've never seen it. Magic. I have not either. I've heard of this one many a times, sure, but I've I have not it. seen it. Yeah. So nice one. Up with this. Yeah. He's bringing the goods, Matt. Yeah. Ah, I'm glad you're following him up. If you like, if you like a Square aspect ratio and black and white cinematography. I guess it's the goods, but it's, <laughs> I, I, I would always advocate for people seeing these films because I think they're magic. Right, they're the uh, they're the giants upon whose back we stand now. Right, correct. A lot of the stories we tell. Yeah. Um, all right, swings back to me. This is the first one on my list that I say is is actually a noir film. Uh, you guys are pulling out lots of noirs. Um, it's also, I think, one of the first movies where we got the trope like um, Ed Norton just did where the detective has some sort of affliction or affectation that, that twists the story around. It's brilliantly told out of sequence with the end of the movie first and the beginning of the movie last. I'm talking about uh, Leonard Shelby in Memento. And the thing that makes uh, his role as a detective so interesting and compelling is his anti-grade amnesia. So he, obviously, you guys know Memento. I'm sure everyone listening knows. He, he can't keep things in his mind for longer than like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, something like that. And then he has to go all the way back to, to the point where he's in a chase and he's like, am I chasing them or are they chasing me? Uh, makes for some good comedic relief at times, but also when you see the tattoos of the notes that he's written because he has to put the clues on his body in ink or he'll forget them, you start to realize how dedicated to solving this case he truly is. And it's just a brilliant detective story it's a Sad. fun one it's a Sad. fun one yeah. for sure yep chris nolan it is yeah. his second film yeah uh, uh, yeah right right his probably his first well-known film right correct yeah, yeah. nice pick at number two my number two i went with a, a female cop 
who turns into more or less a detective as she's the only one that is able to sort of solve what's going on in the very weird town of Fargo. Oh, I thought he was going to say V.I. Warshawski. <laughs> that would have been my pick, you know. <laughs> Fargo and Brainerd, uh, Minnesota. I'm talking about Francis McDormand as Marge Gunderson oh, in Fargo. Great one. I mean, quirky. It's, it's, it's this bizarre story that only the Coens could have wrote. And, of course, it opens up with the famous line based on a true story. And it, it gets everybody thinking that it really was happening. And I, I just love, even if you'll remember the very first time when they go to investigate the car that has gone off the road of the highway. And they, they see the tracks going around. She's pregnant. And her and the other cop uh, go and they look at this car. And he can't even figure out that it's rental plates on the dealership uh, the, the, right. from the license plate. And so Marge even has to figure that out. So she's the only one there that really has the brain power to get this case solved. And uh, she does her damnedest and, and goes all the way to the point where she sees Steve Buscemi being chopped up in a, in a wood chopper, which is horrific. It was horrific and amazing. <laughs> great movie and it great is. character. Great character, yeah. Mm. I think it's really what endeared Francis McDormand to the population at large. Yeah, won the Academy Award for the performance as Marge Gunderson. My number two, Francis McDormand, mm. Fargo. Great one. Here we are, our number ones. Who's your favorite detective in movies there, Neil? This is an interesting one. There's a movie I've talked about in the past. It's the detective in my favorite film of all time, which is Le Samurai. Um, and there's a character called Le Commissionaire. I, I can't speak French. I think that's close. Uh, Fran, by, played by Francois Pierre. Um, and um, Le Samurai is, 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 you know, auteur noir. And you follow a hitman played by Alain Delon. Um, and at some point, you know, he, he, um, he commits a crime and he sets up his alibi, does Alain Delon. And the cops bring him in because he knows he's, kind of on their radar and there's a detective the commissioner who instinctually knows that Delone is guilty of this murder but can't prove it but goes through the paces of trying to through different techniques um, and one specifically involving a lineup where he brings Delone in amongst other other um, potential uh, um, criminals and it's so brilliantly done I mean it's it's really a testament to the filmmaking but the detective is so brilliant in this movie and his techniques are so fascinating and it's, again, supported by, I think, probably the greatest editing sequence I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, wow. Um, and and it, just, it just sticks with you. And this role, the film is now, you know, it's become kind of this masterpiece and revered piece of cinema, but the detective in it and his techniques are are so loved in this movie it's just it just it just stuck with me as the first the first and best uh, you know option this has been a blind spot for me i've seen it pop up on various lists doing cinema jaw through the years and mm -hmm. i've never seen this movie so yeah i recommend I, it I have of course it. yeah seems that way <laughs> yes wow can you follow it up matt i don't know man <laughs> i got a feeling I, first of all, I definitely shouldn't have followed Neil in this uh, roundabout. The scary uh, thing here, Neil, is I believe there was a pet detective, too. Yeah, <laughs> no. There was one where, the, where they got a little kid to be the pet detective. You oh. never know, guys. No, I'm pretty sure this may be what Neil was thinking when, when I started off my number five, 
uh, because it is a less serious film, but a brilliant film nonetheless. Also, Coen Brothers it involves uh, kidnapping, ransom, German nihilists. The detective in the story is sort of an unwilling and bumbling one, but effective nonetheless, The Big Lebowski. And I love this movie. If you ask me to name my top 10 movies, this would be in the top three for sure. I, I've come back to it again and again and again. The one time when he actually consciously tries to do some detective work is probably the best gag in the movie when he's at Jackie Treehorn's ranch and Jackie Treehorn's taking notes while he's on the phone and then he leaves the room and the pad is there and the dude grabs a pencil and he starts scribbling over and it's just a, a lewd cartoon. That's <laughs> one of my funny, favorite jokes. Oh, Such God. a gag. The, the Coen brothers are amazing. This character... To take a detective story and spin it around like this, I don't think anybody could have pulled it off better than them. And I love the dude. The dude. Jeffrey yeah. LeBaster. I don't know how good he is as a detective. Hey, he man, gets by. He solves the crime. He yeah. abides. The I, dude abides. I do love when he's getting kicked out of the car. Or he's thrown into the car. And he's like, watch it, dude. There's a beverage here. It's <laughs> <laughs> always concerned about is that beverage. <laughs> There's so many one-liners. You could quote that movie endlessly. Yeah. All right, so for my number one, I, I've mentioned this movie on Cinema Job before, and I don't think you've seen it, Matt, and you always give me a tough time on it, but I was younger. I didn't know necessarily I was seeing uh, a noir film. I wasn't thinking about it in movies that way. And so for me, this is sort of the, the, the gold star noir film that I grew up with thinking, wow, I, now I know what this is all about, this genre can do and what it is. Um, and it gave us such a, just an, an enormous cast that included Kevin Spacey, Guy Pierce, um, among others, nineteen ninety seven, L.A. Confidential was the movie. Yeah, and the character here is Lieutenant Edmund Ed Exley, played by Guy Pierce. There where he is twice on one list, he is uh, investigating the the Night Owl case. <laughs> it, I, I realize when you're making a noir film, you got to have a cool name with the case. So you right. got the Night Owl, and so they're they're trying to solve this Night Owl case. And, of course, that leads into this huge, you know, conspiracy of corruption in the L.A. police force. And, and what I love so much about Ed Exley is at, at the core, at, at his absolute heart, he is just a good cop. He knows what to do, and he knows the right thing to do, and he finally convinces others such as Kevin Spacey's character and such to join him on that journey to finish out what, what's been going on here with the corruption inside their own force and what a movie like I say I think I went into it not knowing exactly what to expect and coming out saying you know what I'm a noir fan that is a great film great 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 film oh, for yeah. so many reasons that's a good one man the, the cast amazing I didn't even mention Russell, Russell Crowe Crow yeah. is just devastating in it it's, absolutely yeah the movie's magic for such a recent movie to be such a sort of an indelible sort of watermark, uh, high watermark for, for the genre of noir, speaks a lot. A know? lot, because it's kind of trying to emulate noir, but it's being its own original version. You know, it's a wink towards the past because it's a period film. Mm -hmm. It's a very tricky balance. That's an amazing, I mean, that script and... and that's one that, like, if you, if you come across, you know, how there are certain movies, you see it, and you're like, oh, my God, i got to finish this. I don't care where I'm going across the movie. When I, I come across it, I'm just like, that's it. Got to watch the end of this one. Yeah, you just, it, it was a time, too, when movies like that could get made and showed in the cinema and, and, and in the theater, and people would go see it. And I just hope movies like that can still get made because um, 
it's it doesn't it doesn't uh, on its face. There's nothing blockbuster about it, and I bet right. that movie did huge business. Yeah, um, throw it in the fish tank. What what did L.A. Confidential do uh, box office wise? Because I agree, I'd like I'd love to know the numbers. I remember it being a hit. I, I saw it. So yeah, yeah. awesome. Uh, honorable mentions before we go to break. I got a huge one, guys. Uh, yeah. And in all honesty, I would have put this on my list, but I figured one of you guys would definitely have uh, um, Chinatown. JJ, I, yeah, JJ I thought gets. about it. Yeah, I did too. JJ gets uh, right. Such John a, Houston. Right. Uh, Jack Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, um, Roman Polanski, Polanski directing. Right. Great. And as as a cameo, right? Does I he? I believe he does. Yeah. He yeah. he cuts uh, Nicholson's nose, sticks oh, the blade yeah, in yeah. his nose. Happens to nosy people, Jake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a great scene. That's yeah. fantastic. There was, there was a movie that came out earlier this year. Um, you'll re- recall, Matt. We had this on our like fall movie preview last year. It got delayed to this year. And I caught up with it, and I was shocked how good it is. Andrew Garfield in Under the Silver Lake. Oh yeah, I really, mm. I was really stoked for this one. And it was good. He plays. Oh, I loved it. He plays uh, Sam, who's like an aimless thirty-three-year-old in L.A. The best way to sum it up is like it's a stoner noir film, mm. and the set pieces are awesome. It, I, I, I described it as it's a messy masterpiece. It, it, it's there. It just didn't all come together. But what an enjoyable film. Mm. Check yeah. out Under the Silver Lake if you haven't. I got one more. We did not mention uh, Somerset as played by uh, Morgan Freeman in Seven. It's another oh, Fincher, yeah. Fincher movie. I think he's he's that classic um, battle-hardened, um, one step out the door, about yeah. to retire detective. Yeah. But but the problem there is they couldn't catch John Doe. He he had he ended up having to surrender because the, their their great detective work couldn't catch Don John Doe. Yeah, but you could see that that. Uh, the, the, he was on such a short timeline because of the seven sins, and he was going fast. He would have Somerset would have eventually unraveled this case mm. if he had the time. Interesting. He was a great detective. All right. If we missed your favorite movie detective, and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw, or you can always email us feedback at CinemaJaw.com. What we're going to do is take a break. When we come back, we have trivia. Matt versus Neil in sleep movie trivia, plus some Hollywood headlines. Stick with us. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. And now Let's Woody Harrelson and Haley Steinfeld have a classroom chat tree. in the underrated Edge of Seventeen. Mr. I didn't have a chance to do the homework last night because Well, I don't I don't know if you know this, but my dad passed away. It's just been really hard to do. Date of passing. Sorry. When uh, when did he die? Um, 2011. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I have a one-year expiration date on freebies for the dead and dying. Are you serious? There'll be other opportunities. Your, your grandparents can't stick around forever. <laughs> have a seat. Okay, class. The young Mr. Lincoln. Uh-huh. Enjoy. It's November, and that means it's time for a new riddle. Yeah, that's right, Ryan. But first, got to clean up the old riddle, the October riddle. Yes. So recap for the jawheads what the October riddle was. Okay, I will. If only the day had one more hour, I would attend another support group and not be so sour. I mean, when you met me, I had a mental disorder. 
Two years later, I had a gambling problem, and later that year, I did time for killing two teens. But things got better. I returned to the stage and even became a scout leader. I played identical twins and lawyer defending the First Amendment. Who am I? We heard from quite a few jawheads on this one. Seemed to be a little bit easier. One of them being our friend Tim Costa, who wrote in saying that the support group was a nod. The one hour longer to go to support groups was a nod to 25th hour. However, 25th hour, nice, but also to fight club with the support clubs. Mm. The next clue. Mental disorder, primal fear, 1996. Two years later, a gambling problem. Rounders, 98. And later, I did time for killing two teens in American History X. Things got better, and he became a performer, he thinks, in The Illusionist and a scout leader in Moonrise Kingdom. The performer was actually a clue to Birdman. Mm. But... It also works for it. It does. Uh, Finally, he wraps up with, I have played identical twins and a lawyer defending the First Amendment uh, right, twins in Leaves of Grass, and played Alan Isaacman in The People versus Larry Flint. The answer, he says, is Edward Norton. That is correct. The answer to the October riddle was Ed Norton. We pull a name out of the hat, and the winner is Elisa Mathen. Oh, nice. Nice. All right. Write us feedback at cinemajaw.com. We will get you a prize pack. Or you can take me on in trivia, Lisa. Ooh, interesting, interesting options. That brings us to the November riddle. Yes, indeed. Here we go. The November riddle is this. I once got lost on a highway with a director who hates cell phones. I might be crazy because sometimes I move things with my mind and talk to yogurt, robots, and my dog. I fought with monsters with Betty White and Randy Quaid on separate occasions. I'm not Mr. Right, and I ain't no push man. Who am I? If you know the answer to the November riddle, write us feedback at cinemajot.com. Your name will be thrown in the hat, and we will pick out one lucky winner. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. And we are back on Cinemajot, hanging out with Neil Edelstein, his new film, Fractured, out on Netflix right now, starring Sam Worthington. Me and Matt have both watched it. We both recommend checking this thing out. Definitely. Cool. And write us. We love to hear this reaction um, because it has got some twists and interpretations on which way they see it going. So. Yeah, I would like to hear people's thoughts too. I would too. Um, makes me wonder, what's next? Well, what, the, what are you working on also? You well, always got something in there. Yeah, you're always developing stuff, and um, there are certain things that are closer than others. What, something I just optioned that I'm really excited about is this Rich Cone novel. I don't know if you know Rich Cone. Actually, I should correct myself. Not a novel. It's a book. It's a, a, Rich Cone is a, a phenomenal writer. It's nonfiction? Uh, it's, it's nonfiction. It's the story of Albert Hicks, who was really the first American gangster and the last pirate. Um, uh, to be hung in New York. Uh, story takes place in 1860, oh, wow. um, and it's the the beginning of of you know modern day detective work and the start of the New York Times and this killer named Albert Hicks who um, uh, committed a heinous crime uh, on the Hudson River and um, it's about the investigation and and a character study as he's captured and confesses. It's a brilliant book in my opinion, 
um, not too dissimilar from some of this historical, you know, that we call historical fiction because it's based on true events and Rich did a lot of research, but it's kind of like The Devil in the White City if you've read that book. Yes, love it. Um, amazing, right? Mm -hmm. This is very much in, 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 that, in that zone, and I think even better than that book if I, if, if, if I can you know, go there. So, so I get a question about, you're talking about like optioning a book. Yeah. And then like earlier, we were talking about uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo and you had said you had picked it up and, and you were reading it. And I was going to make a joke at that point. Like the reason he put it down was because he realized, well, somebody already optioned this thing. So he just put the book down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Mm. But that, that was going to be a sure. joke. But, sure. But I was wondering, um, so how does that happen? Like, sure. what, I mean, are you just walking in a bookstore nope. and you pick this up? Somebody sends it to you. In this what, case, this in this process? case, I know Rich and I've tried to work with him. Um, we we both went to Nutria High School. He was a year older than me. I didn't really know him there, but we got we got introduced in our adult life by a mutual friend. And I'd always been following his work. And and uh, you know, he writes for Vanity Fair and Rolling Stone. He's just a gifted writer. So he sent me the book when it kind of I think came right out of his computer um, and said, here, how about this? And I read it and I fell in love with it. And so I optioned it from him and uh, off to the races. Now I'm in the process of putting elements together. I have some, I think, weighty elements, um, but I, it's, it's, it's a, it'll, it'll be a special event series. It'll be like a long movie as we call it now. Thankfully, because we have these streaming services, we can make long movies, mm -hmm. which means an eight-hour movie directed by <laughs> one individual, which is just unbelievably beautiful. And so that's the direction. This is the thing. I've got all a series of projects I'm working on, but this is the thing I'm really in love with because it's, it's just got so much going for it. It's, 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 it's got scope and story and character and tragedy and period. It's, it's, it's beautiful stuff. Awesome. That is, that's exciting. Yeah. It's good stuff. I, I like the idea, too, of a producer having so many different things going on because you don't know what's going to go at what time. You know, you were talking about earlier you never fractured, do. how long it's going to yeah. take. So you don't know. You exactly never know. What's and move. they're all your babies and you have to be this open. I think you have to have a real open mind and be an open, open kind of vessel to anything that comes your way. And it's you, you can't ever say no to material. You never know where it's going to come from. But you have to have the passion to think that you can thread the needle and get it made. You know, that's part of it. But. It's you never stop reading and consuming. The good thing for us, Matt, is it just means another project that Neil will have to come back on. I know. Yeah. For. That, that's definitely in the back Ooh, of my head. Oh, I can't wait to talk about oh, that yeah. one. Anytime. <laughs> I'd love it. Good stuff. All right. Before we get to Hollywood headlines and before we get to some trivia, we threw some items into the fish tank. And I know Pat wants to swim up and tell us what we got wrong and inform us. Wait a moment. It's fish. Isn't it? DC. Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a sudden message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. All right. So the first question in the fish tank was what year the movie Laura came out, and that was actually 1944. 44, Laura. Wow. Wow. Older than we thought. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, the second question was who wrote and who directed Beverly Hills Cop, and it was directed by Martin Brest and written by Daniel Petrie Jr. Mm. Marty Brest, there you yeah. go. Yeah, no Walter Hill to be found. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And the third and final question was how much did L.A. Confidential make in the box office, and that was one hundred and twenty-six point two million. 
which was a ton wow. of money back in 1997. It's a ton of money now. Wow. Yes. Yeah, it was a, a staggering amount back then. Total hit. I mean, there's... I would like to think there's a chance a similar movie could do as well today in the theater, but wow, that's it's it's a drama. I know. It's like I, a crime drama. That's what noir is. I, I don't know. I think if anything, there is becoming more and more the discrepancy of the, the, the blockbusters and the big movies and then just the small art house and that in-between movie, which I think technically LA Confidential is, is just dying and just going to the streaming services more and more than in, we're seeing it in the the multiplexes. Yeah, and maybe this Marty Scorsese movie is a prime example of that. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know, man. I mean, Scorsese's never been a huge box office guy, has he? Well, his bigger yeah. ones, like The Departed, obviously was he, a smash. The Departed was. There's, hit, there's hits and misses there. Good but, fellas. But there's, some, there's some huge films, but there's also been some failures. But, I mean, the guy is one of the greats. He, oh, yeah, he's no always, arguments. Yeah, I, I think that... No, he's had some Shutter Island. I think was a pretty, was pretty big, also big, yeah. big yep. movie. But interesting. But yeah, yeah I just I I I'm with you, Neil. That I hope we see movies like this more and more in the movie theaters. So no, I do too. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Was that everything, Pat? Yep. Jump back in that fish tank. All right, we'll do. All right, it uh, brings us to Hollywood headlines, a couple of big ones floating around. What do we got going on? All right, so we have two Hollywood headlines this week. The first one is that Game of Thrones showrunners David Benioff and D.B. Weiss have quit the Star Wars trilogy to work on the Netflix project, citing there are only so many hours in the day to work. All right, so this was, to fill people in, this yeah. was going to be a brand new trilogy having nothing to do with the Skywalkers, just set in the Star Wars universe. But, but, but on Netflix? No. Oh. It, this was going to be a three-movie deal. Oh, okay. And they oh, had, that's right. Yes. And they yeah, had yeah. tapped these Game of Thrones um, showrunners, showrunners yeah. and they were going to create this uh, trilogy, and now they've stepped away. I, I'm, we're at Star Wars overload. I, I'd like this one to come out, which we're about to get, the end of the Skywalker saga, um, and I would like to see the first show that they have coming out on Mandal the Mandalorian, the Mandalorian yeah. on Disney Plus. I'm excited. And then slow, breathe for a while. I don't right. need another new movie for five years. I'm, I'm literally then at that point, give me a five-year break of Star Wars. I know. They, they really stepped on the gas after they bought it from Lucas. And, and who knew? He was actually kind of right. By, by pacing out those movies. Everybody wanted more Star Wars, so they gave the people what they want, and lo and behold, now they don't want it as much. It's tricky. Because um, you're seeing it from a producer standpoint. So this, yeah. is, this is a good well, angle here. I mean, I should be so lucky to be involved with a movie at that level, and the greatest producers in the world are producing those films, right? Sure. Kennedy Marshall. Um, I understand the studio's side of the equation, you know, this kind of dovetails maybe into this conversation that we've had in the media recently, which maybe you guys covered, which is this isn't cinema. These Marvel oh, movies yeah. aren't cinema. Well, the studio has to make these movies and these movies feed the movies that we love, the other types of movies. I mean, we all love the Marvel movies, but also there's the other films that need to get made. So I feel like it's tricky if you're sitting in the boardroom at Disney 
you've got to, you know, you've got to, you've got to iterate. You've got to keep these things alive with current filmmakers, and you know, you you don't stop making them until you hit the skids, right? So I think they've probably heard the the pushback, and they're going to come up with a strategy to slow it down. This is conjecture. I'm not in those rooms. I, I I'm just saying it's a business. Hollywood is a business, and you, and you got to feed the bottom line, and that's a good thing because there's a lot of people to employ, and it helps a lot of people, right? Like it's it's a really positive thing to make these movies and that's where the pressure is right like so um but there is an overload it's hit saturation point there's no doubt and to me it just becomes one blurry mass like it's just more like it's so like the marvel movies and star wars and all that it's just coming at you and it just becomes and streaming and i mean none of us can keep consuming what's out there it's like impossible right Oh yeah. Totally. So, so I, I feel like it's and and if their movies aren't so unbelievably a plus 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 and reviewed that way, you're gonna you're gonna run into these skits. Yep, I agree. Yeah, sad but true. So I'm okay with them stepping away at the end of the day. Uh, it's fine. Take a break. Yeah, it's, it's fine. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. let's slow it down a little bit. Mm. Solo yeah. was a piece of crap. Yep. What else we got, Pat? The second Hollywood headline is also Netflix related. And it is about Netflix testing a speed binge feature, which allows subscribers to speed up or slow down playback without muting the volume. The feature is not unlike what most podcast and audiobook apps already have and is used by some listeners to consume content more quickly. Hmm. Who wants to start here, Matt? I'll I'll, I'll get us going here, guys. Uh, So as a podcaster... This is something I use. Uh, as a podcast listener, I listen to a lot of things on 1.5. Yeah, sure. I don't think it takes anything away from, from the medium of audio whatsoever. The, the pitch doesn't change. Uh, the, these apps are, are you know, they, they crunch the data, so the pitch stays the same. You just get through the show a little bit quicker. And we're talking about 1.5. It's, it's almost imperceptible. Uh, it's at two. You can really tell that the pace changes, but it helps you to get through a, a show a little quicker. You know, a long show like Cinema Jaw. Maybe a lot of listeners find that handy. Movies, different thing. Uh, I don't know. I really don't. And I'm usually the one who would say like I'm all for something like this, but I, I don't know because there's such a thing as timing and pacing and things that actually happen in real life at a certain pace that we're used to seeing. And now when you make that different. I think it changes the art. Um, it's like you can't just walk by the Mona Lisa. You have to stop and look at it and say, okay, I've seen it. You know, examine it. Uh, take your time with it. And I, I don't know that this is right. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't and can't put that in. If they choose to, I think it's okay. I'm somewhat with you. I'm more against it than I am for it. Same. And I think that it should be upfront, and I don't know, and maybe Neil could uh, speak somewhat to this. I think it should be negotiated with Netflix and the creators. Say a director comes in, and let's just use Marty Scorsese uh, for an example. Oh, he'd, and, be, he'd be all for it. <laughs> yeah. And Scorsese, if Scorsese walks in when that negotiating is done, and they know they have the power to do this, I think that should actually be on the table if it's an option for your art. Do you care? Because I don't like the idea that all of a sudden, without the knowledge of the artist who created the work, all of a sudden Netflix now is going to be able to tell them, well, we want these guys moving a little bit faster on the screen. I don't like that. But I think if it was negotiated up front 
and the artist said, yes, let's do it that way. Can we argue then? I don't know. No. Neil? Yeah, it's... It's... Um, I, I mean, why would anyone want to speed through a movie? I don't, I don't, really, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't, I don't know that, either. That I don't understand. Like, because uh, it is about pacing. Yeah. A movie is all pace. Totally. And um, if we've gotten to the point where people are just like blazing through things just to get through them, I mean, it's kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe it's a younger generation thing, but you, you kind of hear this in other sports too, you know, in other forms of entertainment, sports. The NBA is trying to figure out ways to speed the game up and all, you know, like baseball. And I, I, I just am like, well, to what end? Like, what are we speeding for? Like, why is everybody speeding up? I'm not so sure that it's really necessary, but I do think it's like creatively. Uh, Netflix is, it's an entertainment company, but it's also a tech company. So they're going to try to test the boundaries with technology, which is a good thing. And that's their right. And, and you know, the pushback, I get it from certain people, but I'm sure the people that are with a lot of voices that are against it are going to have something in their contract that's going to say, you cannot do this. And Netflix is, they'll, they'll do it on a case-by-case -case basis, I guess. But I think people get so hysterical and they get on Twitter and they start firing off tweets and <laughs> it just rises this level that the media picks it up. I don't know. I just don't, I don't, it's Netflix's prerogative to do it, sure. But like, I don't understand why anyone would do it. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, whatever, speed through, I mean, I, I mean, like, let's move through this really fast so I can get to what? Like, what, I'm going to speed through the ending too? Just so you can speed through another show? Yeah, I and I don't even know how it would look. It'd be so weird and well, so jittery and like, what? what's the point? I don't know how it would look either. I agree. But would it be okay to do that for like an episodic show? Like a, like a Game of Thrones, for example, or something that you really want to catch up on quickly? Maybe? I don't, I don't know. know, but Even like, are, are there other forms of media to consume? Like, like, you know, a podcast talking about that episode or I don't know. Like, I don't know who this is targeted to. I don't know who, you know, I don't know who wants it this way. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the demand? So I, I, I don't have any, I, I, I'm a believer that like, you know, there's, there's purest attitudes about these things. But if you go back and look at the history of entertainment, there's always it's never really that pure, yeah. you know? So, mm. um, I, I have some, some closing thoughts on this one. Uh, for some strange reason, right? I understand the 1.5 or 2x uh, listen back in the podcast app, but for some strange reason, mine and I suspect many other podcasts app, you can actually listen at 0.5 or, or, or even slower. And if you really want to hear something very funny right now, take your phone out of your pocket, and if your app has this feature, Set this playback to 0.5 or something slow and listen to us sound completely drunk <laughs> while we talk. Listening to Rye at half speed oh, is man. hilarious. Yeah. Oh, so funny. He's like, oh, today on Cinema Jaw. Right. You don't got to be slow now because everybody's listening to I us know, slow right it's now. It's going to be even slower when yeah. listen back. Twice as long. <laughs> oh, man. The debate will continue. Good, good, good we're, talk. We're though. all on the same page. I now. agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, we like to end our, our podcast each week with some fun trivia. And as mentioned, we went eye for an eye on a movie entitled Dr. Sleep. So it got us thinking about sleep movie trivias. Neil, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first, let Matt go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any questions, you get one lifeline. Pick me up, Pat. Pat has all the clues, at least, to the questions. 
and I'll give you this advice, Neil, they start off easy. Wow. Okay. Uh, there was a, a motion by Neil to Matt. Yeah. To Matt, he, he deferred. Yep. He defers to Matt. I Is deferred. this correct? Correct. Okay. okay. I forgot. There's there's no video. I just <laughs> motion. Yeah. Question number one over to Matt K. Matt in 2014, Disney made a movie about the villain in Sleeping Beauty called Maleficent. Who played Maleficent? Angelina Jolie. I tried to tell you they start off easy. They're Question real, two yeah. over Both to of Neil. Them are gonna be easy. Neil, name the 1996 movie that starred Brad Pitt, Kevin Bacon, Billy Crudup, and Robert De Niro. It was about teenage boys abused in a reform school. Oh, yeah, I know the movie. Uh, was it called Sleepers? There we go. One to one. You gave that to me for a birthday or Christmas. Or yeah, that, which was a weird gift, I remember. Yeah. It's yeah. a bit of a weird <laughs> gift. He probably got it. He knows me too well. It is one-to-one, question three, back over to Matt K. Matt, in 1999, Johnny Depp starred in Sleepy Hollow. What actress co-starred with him playing the character Katrina Van Tessel? I don't know, but probably Helena Bottom Carter. <gasps> really? Oh, I messed that one up. She's in every single one of the Burton Johnny really Depp is. movies. She may even be in Sleepy Hollow, but she was not the, the star that co-starred with him. Okay. Johnny Depp and who in Sleepy Hollow, Neil? You got a chance for a steal here. She played Katrina Van Tessel. Johnny Depp and American who? actress? American actress. Uh, I know who it is, but I can't remember her name. It was the mother in Stranger Things. Close, but that is incorrect. It was actually Christina Ricci. Oof. Christina Ricci. Wow, no yeah. chance I would remember that. <laughs> but she reminds me of Winona Ryder yes, a little Winona bit. She's a younger version There's, of Winona Ryder. Yeah, they, they both played like the spooky little girls. Yeah, and yeah. dark. Yeah, Christina uh, was Wednesday Adams, and she was Lydia from. All Andrews. right, it's one to one. Question four now is over to Neil. Neil, name the actress who starred in 1991's Sleeping with the Enemy as Laura, a woman who fakes her own death to get away from her husband. Uh, that's the, the biggest actress of all time whose name is completely escaping me, but it's going to come to me because her name is Julia Roberts. Wow. Two to one, Neil. I don't know if you would have got that one, Matt. I don't know if I would have either. It's a good <laughs> film. I was probably going to say Ashley Judd. Question five over to Matt Kay. He's down two to one. Matt, in the sequel, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, Gordon Gecko starts working with his daughter's fiance, Jake. What actor? played Jake in the film. Dude. It, he sort of co-starred in the movie Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. Michael Douglas and who? Man, this was such a crapper, man. Young just, actor. Um, okay, well, it's probably not Charlie Sheen at this point. Young actor. You do have a lifeline if you need what it. It's, o- it's only question five. Oh, man. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I got nothing. See if Neil knows this one. Incorrect. I know, I know it. Neil, you got a chance for a steal. Who starred, was, was with, right track? who starred with Michael Douglas in Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps? The star of Disturbia. <laughs> you might <I> cannot remember. 
He's a, yeah, he, uh, um, oh, he's, went off the rails. Yeah, he, yes. Uh, uh, you're, you're just shy. I, I've, I've, I've been, Neil, I, Neil, I, I, you're yeah. just shy of the answer. Shia LaBeouf. Wow, three to one, Neil. Well done. You knew it. I knew it. <laughs> three to uh, one, Neil. Brain crap. Question six is over to him. Neil, name the 2014 movie that starred Nicole Kidman, Colin Firth, and Mark Strong. It was about a woman who wakes up remembering nothing at all due to a traumatic accident in her past. We're playing sleep movie trivia. Yeah, I'll pass on that one. I have no clue. Read it one more time. All right. 2014 movie. Uh Uh-huh. It starred Nicole Kidman, Colin Firth, and Mark Strong. It was about a woman who wakes up remembering nothing at all due to a traumatic accident in her past. Ah. Fast asleep. Before I go to sleep was the correct answer. Before wow. I go to sleep. What a Boy, dud, that huh? Is a, that was an IMDb Yeah, search. wow, that was, a, mm. that was a crazy one. All right, it is three to one, and question seven is over to Matt. Matt, we know that Tom Hanks mm-hmm. and Meg Ryan starred in Sleepless in I'm Seattle. I hoping to get the Sleepless in Seattle question. Who directed the film? I'm going to jump right in the fish tank here. Whoa! Into the fish tank we go. Question Neil knows this. I can tell. Pat, who directed Sleepless in Seattle? So your clue for this one is that it is a great female director that has recently passed away. Penny Marshall? Nora Ephron. Penny Marshall's still with us. She's passed also. She did too, yeah. Yeah, but so Nora Ephron as well. It, it, it is Nora Ephron. Neil has won this one four to one. Congratulations. Congrats. Um, Who would have known that I knew my sleep titles? <laughs> the last question of the game, and this is so appropriate. Now, I write these beforehand, right? The last question of the game is over to Neil. Name the 1946 classic film that starred Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. <laughs> it was on your top five list. And it's about a detective hired to look into gambling debts of a young woman. <laughs> the big sleep. Absolutely. Why couldn't I get that question? Because I wrote it down. It was so funny because I wrote these the day before. And as Neil was talking about the big sleep, I thought, oh, I know one. that's on my... Qu-. And I, let, I put it at eight thinking that nobody was going to know this one. But Neil slaughters I've you. I've seen it. So yeah. He slaughters you five to two. Can I get a handshake? Yeah. I get a little help with the Shiloh yeah, Buff one. If it comes down to a, a tie, we call it a jawbreaker. Matt, who would you rather sleep with? Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> sleep movie trivia. Yeah. I get it. Uh, the real jawbreaker was this. Age of Christina Ricci, closest to. Matt, do you got to guess? Hmm. Um, she's not that old, right? Okay, so Adam's family was in the 90s, and she was probably 9 or 10 then. So that's like... Holy crap, that was a long time ago. I'd say she is maybe pushing 40. Let's say 38. Lock him in at 38. Neil, you got to guess. I'd say she's 36. Give that one to Matt, 39. Mm. You guys are on top of that one. Yeah. Just under 40. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Good. Good, Good ball game. Matt. Good podcast. Yep. Yeah. First and foremost, we got to thank our guest, Neil Edelstein. Thanks for coming on Cinema Jaw. 
Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. Fun stuff. You're doing great stuff. It's and, awesome. And as thank Matt you. said, congrats on Fracture. Thank Love you. the film. So hopefully uh, some jawheads check it out, and uh, we'll yep. pass the feedback. Yeah, and we'll let's, let's continue the discussion on Twitter. Be fun. Yes. Yeah. Your, your Twitter handle again? It's my name, Neil, N-E-A-L, Edelstein. Yep. And it's in the show notes, guys. Absolutely. So click that link. We also got to thank our producer, Pat. Thanks, guys. It's a great time as always. Yeah, we got to thank our sponsors. Yeah, thanks to Overcast and the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get cool sponsors like them. If you would like to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And while you're there, click subscribe. One extra push helps us out a ton. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And keep on jawing about the movies. Yeah.